we don't realize people may be sitting there waiting for us to really nail it with our apology. And I was done because I had said I was sorry, but he needed to hear something else. So welcome to today's episode of the Influencers Podcast. If you're listening for Dave Donaldson and Scott Young, uh, we've got something different for you today. I'm Mindy Wagner. I'm the co-host and guest host today. And joining me is Chrissy Cochran. Chrissy is the Executive Director of Communications at CityServe, and which just means that she handles every single detail involved with every single word, image, message, branding of an organization that CityServe, it's massive work that she does. I serve as the executive assistant to the team, the executive team and the co-founders of CityServe. And also I have a long history as being a a public speaking coach and trainer for many years. Uh, But anyways, enough about us. We're just so glad this is today's episode is the women are taking over. And we're so excited about today's topic. And our guest is Dr. Jennifer Thomas. We'll introduce her shortly. We're talking today about workplace relationships and really how we make those healthy and function well. Uh, Dr. Jen's book is Making Things Right at Work. And so before we dive into that, Chrissy, have you got any thoughts on this? Oh, Mindy, I have so many thoughts about it because (laughs) I'm just a relational person and everyone I do like work with or ministry with life with there's their relationships and they are just full of dynamic and character and people. And obviously we're all sinners. Okay. We all are, but (laughs) um, it can be very complicated. And the thing that I love about the topic here today, as far as relationships at work and the people you work with is that whether you like it or not, you're in relationship with these people that you work with in some form. Right. And I always think about, I'll, I'll tell you, Mindy, my, my brother, I love him. He's so great. But when he talks about people at work, he always refers to them just as coworkers. So my coworkers, this, and my coworkers, that, and, and then, but also like it sounds so sometimes like so formal and disconnected. And he also, he works with friends. He works with friends that we go to church with. So I'm like, Donnie, why can't you just have friends that work at this time? You know? But it's all about relationships, right? And how we, how really, we interact with people. I love that. It reminds me, not, not your brother, but your point about it's relationships and guarding them and making them healthy, keeping them healthy and how essential that is for a healthy organization. And I know in a job that I had years ago, part of the hiring process, they said, we hire people we like. Mm. And we are hiring for a cultural fit because I love that line that says, hire for will, not skill. Mm. We can train the skill, but a healthy organization is about healthy relationships. And so much of that is intangibles and the way that we interact with each other, which is why I think today's guest, Dr. Jen, is key to this whole concept because we don't always work great together and and tension happens and misunderstandings happen. And just like in our families and our other relationships, you have to guard that. You have to keep some practical ways in place to make it healthy. And I think Dr. Jen will talk to us more. 
about that. So are you ready, Chrissy? I am. Uh, Jennifer Thomas is her name, PhD. She's a clinical and community psychologist. She's an author, TEDx speaker, love that. And a master facilitator for the five love languages, which is just awesome. I love the five love languages. We recommend it to everyone. And also today we're talking about the other book that she has co-authored, which is Making Things Right at Work. And Dr. Jen teaches what to say. I love this concept. There are words around this, what to say in at workplace conversations when that tension arises and comes up. And like we know that there are essentials to successful apologies. And so Dr. Jen is really going to give us some tools around what are those, those essential ingredients, because, you know, sometimes just saying, I'm sorry, is not enough. It doesn't, it doesn't cover what's needed uh, for that whole forgiveness factor. So she'll help us learn some some skills around turning bad situations into good outcomes. And it's really based on your love language and your apology language. I love that idea. She's one of a handful of uh, approved presenters for Gary Chapman's book, that number one best-selling book. I tell everyone to read it, The Five Love Languages. And she uses her skills in an interactive way to really impart these um, principles to us about improving our relationships and, and how we speak others' love language and apology language, not just at home. Today, we're talking about why and how we apply it in our work setting. So Dr. Jen, welcome to the podcast. I love it that you're known as the apology expert. So let's just jump in right there with that idea. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you. So glad. It's weird too. Well, first, tell us a little background. How did you become known as the apology expert? (laughs) Well, I, it, it was after I had co-written this book with Gary Chapman on how to apologize in a way that other people will receive. And so I just claimed that title for myself as an, a marketing exercise, and it, it has stuck. Uh, but really, it, it grew out of my interest in helping people to have the most healthy relationships possible. And what we know is that it's important for them to feel loved and appreciated, and it's great if you have a full love tank. But inevitably, we're going to offend each other. And when we do, it creates a barrier between us and the other person. Person. And so I've been working with Dr. Chapman on some research and now on this book, The Five Apology Languages, and then our workplace title that you shared, all about how to keep relationships on track and how to show that we're really sincere in wanting to make things right when we mess up. Mm, that's so good. And you say often, sorry is just not enough, right? So you mess up. And you're, and I love that, like when you're in relationship with someone or you're working with them, doing ministry with them, you're close. So when you're close to someone and spending so much time with them, you're naturally, like you said, inevitably, you're going to offend them. So you want to say, okay, I'm sorry, but how, like, why is it so difficult sometimes just to get the words out? (laughs) I'm sorry. Why is that? (laughs) Right. Well, for some people, it's hard on their pride, Mm. Um, or they may have been raised by parents who taught them that, you know, that makes you look weak if you apologize. But another challenge that is unique 
I believe, um, in our book is we're talking about that people actually want to hear different things in an apology. So Gary Chapman and I are the first to say, wait a minute, what one person considers to be an apology is apparently not what another person considers to be an apology. We all have different scripts. And so we've broken down from our research of asking thousands of people, what counts as an apology for you? And we found that there were actually five different things that people wanted to hear. Um, Tell us more about those. Do you want to just dive in with that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So for some people, if you start off with an apology by saying, I'm sorry, which is the reflexive thing that most of us do, uh, for some people, that's completely satisfying. And they'll say that's a good apology, especially if you're specific about um, what you did wrong and how it affected the other person. So go into expressing regret for the emotions that you've caused for how you frustrated or disappointed them. But for some people, that's not going to be enough. They might want to hear one of the other four things, like uh, they might want to hear you accept responsibility and say, I was wrong. And the problem, if we just say, I'm sorry, is that I can be very sorry something happened to you without taking any responsibility for it at all. (laughs) And that's why um, I was talking to someone just recently, I was consulting with her and she said, you know, my mom always said, sorry, isn't enough. Sorry, those are just words. And so the problem for her is now she's married or she's working with people. And when they give this reflexive apology and they say, sorry, she's like her mom. And she wants to say, well, sorry's not enough, but they don't, they aren't expecting that. In fact, they would feel blindsided if she said that because for their parents, sorry was like the magic word. But for many people, we need to go on to our um, third kind of apology they want to hear, which is making amends or making restitution. And here we're getting away from just using our words to actually showing some actions. Because the old saying is true. For some people, talk is cheap. And what we really want is for people to spend some of their time or some of their money making us whole again. And then you could see these apology languages build on each other. So you could also think of them as steps for a complete apology. And some people might still be waiting for something else. Our fourth apology language is genuinely repenting or letting them know what you're going to do to prevent this from happening again. So it literally means if you study the word repentance, it's to turn around 180 degrees and walk the other way. And so how do we promise someone that we aren't going to do this thing again? It may be that they're going to believe you're really sincere in your apology when they see you put a new plan into place to prevent it from happening. And without that, they're going to feel like, well, you're just going to keep doing this. I forgave you last time, but I'm running out of patience with this. So for some people, that's what they most need to hear. And then finally, our final language of apology is actually a question. And that is, will you please forgive me? And some people were expected to say that when they were a kid and other people were not. And guess what? We all grew up. And now for some people, that's an expected part of any really good apology. And others of us would never think to say that. Um, We could be very sincere, say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I want to make amends. I'm going to change what I'm doing. 
And then we walk away and we check it off and we think I've apologized. And we don't realize that the other person was waiting for us to really hit the nail on the head. Mm. That's really good because we have to remember that just saying, I'm sorry. And then walking away, like, you know, when someone like, especially as a child, someone says, oh, I'm sorry. And I go, you didn't mean it. Like, are you, like, are you really sorry? <laughs> you know, and I love, right. I love how you brought about like how we're kind of programmed and trained as children to apologize plays a really big part. Now I'm not trying to give myself like any mom like points here, but let me tell you, I, I'm going to ask you, Dr. Jen, if this sounds good, what I'm trying to train my young children to say when they've offended someone or hurt someone, let's say my daughter hurt my son or hit my son. It's like, okay, tell okay. him I hit you. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Right. So I was trying to teach them, but you admit what you did say, you shouldn't have done that. You want to turn it around, say the actual words, I'm sorry. And then ask them, will you forgive me? Now, maybe I've right. drained, I've drained this too much because now they say it robotically. I hit you. <laughs> but after, right, what they need individually, right. To really feel like there's been restoration in the offense. Right. I think that's fabulous. And I love that you have them be specific about what they did that was wrong. I think that's really key. Yeah. But then, but that's like relational with like in the family, you can be really personal. Mm -hmm. There's more intent and heart, but bring this back to, and maybe Mindy, I would love your thoughts on this too. And we're talking about the workplace, right? Some people probably mm -hmm. think, well, I just work with them, right? Why do I have to care about their feelings? You know, like, sorry, right. <laughs> I've got work to do, just do it. Okay, so Dr. Jen, I've got two questions that are really tied up with all of this, what you said and what Chrissy shared just now. And the first one is, how do you have some tools for us to know which one is appropriate? Right? Because, and I may have my own default where I say, hey, I'm sorry, I really shouldn't have done this, or I, I spoke out, you know, whatever it is. I name my offense and say, I'm really sorry I did that. And that that's like my own language. And right. uh, so number one, is it specific to a person and how do I know what you need? And number two, is it sometimes specific to the situation? Like the size of the fault um, may dictate yeah. a more full scale apology. <laughs> exactly. So let's start with that part first. People are going to want to hear their primary apology language, especially if the offense is serious, as you mentioned, or if it's repeated. That's when, if you just hit them with a couple of phrases, but you don't use their primary apology language, the problem we found is that they may not understand how sincere you really are. And then you also asked, well, how do we know, you know what each person might need to hear or, or if our script is going to work for them? And one thing that I suggest is starting off any apology with the phrase, I apologize. And this has been a change I've made myself in recent years because I used to always start off with, I'm sorry. But I, mm. what I found is that I apologize is a good sort of a vanilla base from which you can lead into anyone's apology language. And it lets them know that you're not going to try to blame them, that you're, you're just sort of setting the stage for um, what you want to say next in terms of taking down that barrier that's created by whatever offense you're trying to heal. 
And then in terms of knowing, well, for these people who are in my life, whether at home or at work, what do they need to hear? There are a couple of things you can do. Um, first, on my website, we have a free apology language quiz that you can take. Um, but you can also just have a conversation with people and ask them a couple of questions. Like, when you hear a really good apology, what do they say? Or when you hear a terrible apology, what's wrong with it? And chances are that their answer will give you a good idea about what their primary apology language is. That's good. And that quiz is on your website. That's right. I love that. I want to go do that. Now, as far as I want my whole family to do it. Yeah. Everyone we work with, Mindy, everyone we work with, everyone we do life with, everyone just go around. Please fill this out so I know how to apologize. Yeah, so I know how right. to to respond to what you need, the way you need to hear it. You know, it's so key with the, like the love languages, the way I'm wired to say, I love you. It's probably not the way my spouse needs it. It's probably true with apologies too. Right. Exactly. Mindy, your point is really well taken that we, we live with these people or we see them every day at work, but we don't know always what makes them feel appreciated and what helps them to know how sincere you are when you're trying to apologize to them. Now, so true. I, I have a question though, as far as conflicts in the workplace, what are some common ones that would arise? I mean, you're spending, you know, sometimes 40 plus hours a week with people that maybe, st maybe they start off as complete strangers. Maybe you started off as friends. You want to have a good working relationship, but what are some examples of the most common conflicts that you've seen in the workplace? Christy, that's such an important question. I do coaching and consulting with people um, in executive C-suite kind of situations. And I find a few things that come up over and over. And these are things that are going to happen in our new Zoom culture, mm -hmm. I think just as much or more than they ever did when we were spending 40 hours a week in the office. Um, one of the first things that I see is people assigning bad motives um, when they think about what what is someone else trying to do. So it may be that, that there's nothing bad going on, but I find, especially people who maybe are feeling insecure, will say, oh, well, she's just trying to make me look bad, or he's just trying to play up for the boss, or they're trying to take credit for my work. Um, so I want people to pay attention whenever you hear trying to, and then something negative, I want people to become aware that, that you're talking about attributions or motives. And Brene Brown has called these the stories we tell ourselves in our head. And we have a section on this in our book, Making Things Right at Work, where we're trying to get people um, as a first step to even recognize that they're doing this. And then second, to try to stop doing it because it really does make um, the conflict increase so much. If you've ever been misjudged or you've had someone think badly of you when really you were doing nothing of the sort, you can see how quickly these bad motives being assigned can make things go downhill so fast. Huge. Your perception is your reality. Right. So if there's that's right, perception changes. Yeah. 
And we we are very flexible. We're very comfortable assigning motives to people. (laughs) Right. And social psychology shows us that we give ourselves a break, but we don't give that same break to other people. Um, And so we need to watch that. It's like in the Bible where it talks about the speck and the log problem that um, we tend to focus in on other people's very small things and, and blow them up. But are we as careful to study our own behavior and see where we need to improve. Now, a second problem that I see also in the workplace is um, gossip or sharing things about other people that really are private and that shouldn't be talked about. And um, this, I think, is a real, it creates dissension. And one of the ways it does it is it creates triangles So um, if we have a secret and we go and tell someone else something about a third person, immediately we have a triangle and those are often not healthy and it creates alliances and it makes things um, fractious and it's very hard to work as a team if you feel like people are talking about you behind your back instead of protecting you. And so I want to encourage people to think about in in your workplace, are you the person who would just sit quietly when that happens? Or would you be bold and say, you know what, that person isn't here to clarify this or defend themselves if it's really getting hostile. And so I don't want to talk about them while they're not here. That is brave. Dr. Jen, in the few minutes we have left, I have have five more questions. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to get them all. (laughs) But I do wonder too, how do we tune in to knowing what warrants an apology? Because sometimes, you know, I might have a nature that I walk around defending people and I'm kind of unaware that I am. And so I want that self-awareness to know. But do you have any tools or anything you can help us with with that? To know when we're offending people if they aren't telling us? Yes. Like, how do I know what warrants an apology? I can, we can all list the obvious things. But sometimes Mm -hmm. it's the unobvious things that sit with people and they feel offended and they want an apology. Right. Yeah, this is hard because, again, as with the speck and the log problem, it's not as obvious to us when we've stepped on someone's toes as it is obvious to them. So I would suggest um, just occasionally having a conversation with them. I actually did this with my extended family before the book Making Things Right at Work came out because I didn't want to be talking about how to do conflict resolution when other, you know, people in my own world were feeling upset with me. And so I really wanted to start at home with this and practice it. And so I I said, if I've if I've said or done something that offends you, I hope you'll let me know. And um I you know, I think it's a good way for us to keep short accounts and just be willing to be teachable and, and saying, as we let off with, I know I'm not perfect. I, I know I make mistakes. That's really good. Okay. To me, the whole success of that was in your, in your question and your prompt to your family, which is, I hope Mm -hmm. you'll let me know. It's so much more than saying, you know, if I did anything to offend you, I just want to say, I'm sorry. It's one step further. It's if Mm -hmm. I did, I, you're saying, I don't really get, I don't know. I'm unaware, but would you tell me? Right. Yeah, it's That's not just restorative. a blanket apology. Yeah, we don't like the apologies. If anyone was offended, I apologize. <laughs> or to the extent you were offended as a group thing. Uh, that's very weak. It, it does need to include, and we need to talk about it. And I want to change and prevent 
a reoccurrence. I think you give that example in your TED talk where you're like, it's kind of a politician's apology. Like if I said it to exactly. anyone, you know, we're so sorry your feelings are hurt. But also what I loved in your TED talk, I'm just going to say is that when you had that aha moment, and it was for me too, when you said you'd had a you know, thing with your husband and you thought right. you had apologized. And later what he said to you is, what I wanted you to say was I was wrong. Like, exactly. What? Mm, that was a great <laughs> yeah. moment. That's a right. good moment for yeah. all of us to get a hold of, not just me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We don't realize people may be sitting there waiting for us to really nail it with our apology. And I was done because I had said I was sorry, but he needed to hear something else. And it was awkward in the moment, but I was willing to say it because it was still, you know, to me, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. We're pretty similar. So I said, okay, I was wrong too. <laughs> and, but it just made things so much better with him that I've continued to think about it and how it might help other people who are stuck in their own relationships where they feel like they've done what they can to make it better, but things aren't getting better. What we have are some new tools that people can try. This is so helpful because like as influencers in the world, right, wherever God has placed us in ministry, in a corporate setting, in the church, wherever it may be, we want to have good relationships. And we know that when we're in good relationships, that's really when you can be the most influential right? I mean, how are you supposed to influence others and lead them closer to Jesus? They don't even like you, (laughs) you know, they don't like you or they don't trust you. And there's constant conflict and you can't forgive. You can't, you know, so there's so much to that. And I, I just, I really love all that you're discussing here, how we can just foster a healthy work environment. Dr. Jen, one question I have too, that I just wonder how can, what are tools that a leader needs to be aware of, whether it's the organization or a team or, you know, the group that they work with, that they, that awareness and the tools that a leader needs in this whole subject of apologies in in healthy work relationships. One of my favorite things that we do is when a leader calls and asks a member of my team to come in and work with their group, the first thing we do is have everyone take our apology language quiz, and then we put their results in a grid, and we post it someplace publicly or on a shared drive so that when someone makes a mistake and needs to apologize in the workplace, they can make sure that they don't leave out the one thing that's most important for that employee to hear. And we've had really good success with um, looking at the distribution on a team and how varied it is what people want to receive in their apologies. We found that none of the five got more than 37% of the votes among different work teams. So what that told us is you can't guess what people want to hear. It's important to ask or to have them take a paper and pencil test. It just does also map back to the importance that the leader is safeguarding the culture and apologies and offenses erode culture and that awareness. And sometimes it's apology and how we approach it right makes all the difference. That's, that's great. 
Yeah, I agree. And piggybacking on that, I would say it's really important for the leader, as you said, to be aware of what's happening relationally and to take it seriously. I, I tell you a personal story. I was at a um, shop this week where I get my car worked on and there had the prior time had been an awkward um, situation going on behind the desk where a man was fussing at his female coworker. And I brought it back up with her and said, I was really uncomfortable with how he was talking to you. Are you okay? And do you want me to tell the boss what I witnessed? Do you want me to vouch for you? And she said, no, don't bother. Uh, it's been that way the whole 10 years I've been here and he's not going to do anything. And so let that be a word of warning <laughs> to leaders to um, be active, to document if there are things happening that shouldn't be happening, and to show people that you are willing to make changes to have a more healthy work culture. That's so powerful. And you, you just know, you hear that story. She's learned to tolerate him, but this is a reflection on the leader. It's the leader who's tolerating this. Right, true. Bad on them. Wow to ultimately be really good influencers for Jesus. I'm excited about your book. And as I am, um, just me personally, I'm a, I love having a good, um, healthy workplace, just good work with friends, but knowing that there's going to be stuff that comes up and then how do we handle it? So I'm getting your book, but Dr. Jen, where can we, where can we tell our audience? Like, where can we find your book? Well, um, it's at most major bookstores. I do encourage people to try to order it from your local bookshop. And there are also links on my website, on my homepage, which is drjenthomas.com. That's D-R-J-E-N-Thomas.com. And that's also where my free resources tab is. We don't just want to sell books. We want to put free resources in the hands of people who need them to have the best relationships at work and at home. That's so good. I love that. And nothing like a good free resource. So thank you, Dr. Jen. It's D-R-J-E-N-T-H-O-M-A-S.com. DrJenThomas.com. Take advantage of those resources and her book. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I enjoyed talking with you all. Thanks again. Bye. Bye, ladies. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma podcast network if you enjoy our content we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts you can follow us on all social media platforms at the influencers podcast official you can stay up to date hear more inspiring content and unlock your full potential as an influencer remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to jesus <laughs>